0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Monday Memo. And as some of you might know, I live in the Northern Hemisphere, and with the sort of sunnier weather and the odd rain shower means, I'm often outside mowing my lawn. And I was wondering to myself, why the heck am I mowing my lawn? What's the motivation here? And then I thought, well, there's actually a very good lesson in there for us from a finance perspective about for mowing our lawns that can help us understand how to better influence and teach other people. And it sort of relates a bit to what I was sharing with you last week as well about saying that well-intentioned and motivated people who are eager to succeed still face the challenge of understanding where and how to focus their time and effort. And they're so stumped by this question, they end up taking no action at all. It's like they freeze or or worse. Um, They know they should do something, but instead they actually choose to do nothing. And our organizations, we might see something in the numbers that maybe should be acted upon a worrying trend perhaps where profits might be declining or an an opportunity to grasp perhaps some unused budget to reinvest elsewhere in the business. But sadly, no action ends up taken. And why is that? Well, in his book, Human Action, Ludwig von Mises suggests that there's actually three requirements that have to be present for individuals to take any action whatsoever. And these are, one, a dissatisfaction with the present state of affairs. Two, it's that having a vision of a better state. And three, the belief that they can reach that better state. So if we come back to our mowing example, uh, we will we'll typically mow our lawn only when we're dissatisfied with its present condition, whether we, when we believe that it will look better having tended to the job, and also that we know how and have the tools to perform the necessary task. So similarly, if we in finance wish our organizations, our colleagues, our business units, customers, suppliers, and other stakeholders to take some action on our advice or follow our controls that we set out, we simply need to ensure we take them through these three steps. For instance, in recent times, decision makers have been bypassing finance to serve themselves with insights. Because just like um, on the front lines between our businesses or organizations and customers, A decision maker will switch suppliers of their decision support offerings when they become dissatisfied with their current supplier and believe another supplier will serve them better and they're actually able to switch. So likewise, managers and employees will subvert controls around travel expenses when they're not happy with them. They can see a better way or believe that they can get around them without getting caught or adversely impacted. And even within finance teams, we see these three steps play out when finance leaders are maybe perhaps struggling to keep hold of their talented staff and ensuring that their teams are continually engaged in adding value to their businesses, particularly when finance employees are dissatisfied with their current employer. They see a better state where their skills can be put to more meaningful use or even become entrepreneurs acting as financial mentors to other businesses. And you notice this in the rise of virtual CFOs. Now, in finance, we have a number of strengths that make us ideally positioned to take others, including our own teams or even ourselves individually, through these three steps. If we're leveraging our broad view of organisations, our access to data and information, our access to decision makers, we should be able to identify current states of dissatisfaction. That's step one. Our training and experience should also then allow us to translate what a better state looks like in terms of financial outcomes. Step two, and even our perceived independence and integrity that comes with working in finance, putting the business interest ahead of our own, um, should enable us to have some credibility in order to help foster a belief in our proposals or any controls that we're proposing so that others buy into them. Step three, so whilst there are finance professionals doing these three steps particularly well, and I'm thinking of commercial finance teams or deal-making teams in this regard, where they're interacting a lot with customers and across other functions, there's still a lot of the rest of us who are still sitting behind our desks, not getting out there, interacting, engaging with our organizations. And because we're not utilizing the full value we can offer them, our full range of strengths, we're at risk of becoming irrelevant. And unfortunately, these aren't the hard technical type of skills that we've been typically trained in or certified in. Uh, so they're not going to be covered on your accounting exams or in finance courses. They're actually more softer communications type, influencing real people, business skills that are becoming increasingly important in our organisations. And they're the type of skills as well that get better by practising them time and again. And that's why we bring on guest mentors to our strength in the numbers show, you know, uh, experienced finance professionals to share with you their stories and hard-won lessons and how they've practically figured out how to leverage their strengths to take others through these steps to contribute more value in and for their organizations. And they will help you learn how to leverage your strengths in the numbers faster. So look, if you enjoyed this episode, please let your friends and your colleagues know. You can find more details, more resources at our website, sitnshow.com. And the podcasts are easy enough to subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and YouTube. So I hope you feel now knowing these three steps that you can follow them and start leveraging some more of your strength in the numbers. So until next time, take care of yourselves and let's keep on building our strength in the numbers.